This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Welcome to Leadership in Action on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Ann Greenhall, Deputy Director of the Ann and John McNulty Leadership Program here at Wharton. And my truly dear friends and co-hosts, Mike Yuseem and Jeff Klein, are off for the evening. So I am flying solo tonight, and if you would like to join me and my guests, I would be delighted. Since I'm flying solo and we have our first guest in studio, we're not going to do the usual banter that Jeff and Mike and I like to engage in every uh, Thursday night. So let me tell you who we've got on tap here. We have in the first hour, I'll be talking to Donna DeCarolis, who is the founding dean, the founding dean, not just the dean, but the founding dean of Drexel University's Close School of Entrepreneurship. And for those of you out there, this is actually uh, a special and important and subtle point. It's the first degree-granting school of entrepreneurship that is independent of a business school. So I want to learn more about that because I know that that was a dramatic, uh, dramatic move. So we're going to hear more from Donna in just a moment. So we have a great show, and I hope you will call in and join us. But let me welcome right now... Donna DeCarolis, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ann. <laughs> pleasure to be here. It's really a pleasure to have you, and especially in studio. So that means Great. we'll ha- have a chance for even more lively uh, conversation, and I hope not so engaged that I forget that there are listeners out there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Donna, I've said a word or two about you as Dean of the Charles D. Close School of Entrepreneurship, and you are also the Silverman Family Professor of Entrepreneurial Leadership at Drexel. So, but I I know sometimes we work backwards from where our guests are to where they came from, but I'm actually going to maybe do the reverse and just ask you a playful question up front. Sure. So when you were a young person, maybe in your teens, did you imagine that you would be the founding dean <laughs> of the School of Entrepreneurship at Drexel? So no, uh, because that idea came to me five years ago. Okay. <laughs> so I think when I was little um, or in high school, yeah. I always felt a pull toward education. You did? Yes, absolutely. Now, absolutely. why was that? I felt a pull towards education also, so I'm, that I'm asking you because I felt the same. <laughs> yeah, so very honestly, I think it was, uh, I was raised in a Catholic school environment. Okay. And I had a very positive experience in that environment. I learned a lot. I thrived and admired the teachers uh, that, you know, that taught me. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to emulate that. Um, so education was always in my blood. Mm-hmm. Um my career path was not a straight one through education. I took yeah. a little diversions uh-huh. and did other things. But as I was getting my MBA mm-hmm. and was motivated to get a PhD, I knew that I wanted to do that to be back in the classroom right. and and actually doing research. So it was something that was just um, always motivated me. And if I'm remembering right, mm-hmm. you did your MBA at Villanova? At Villanova. At Villanova. And then how about undergrad? Where were you so as I'm, an So I'm a Philadelphia girl. Oh, I love that. Oh, great. I did my undergrad at Cabrini University. Okay. Uh, and my MBA at Villanova and my PhD at Temple. Oh, boy. You are. And here you are. And here and I at am. at Drexel. At Drexel. That's wonderful. Right. And at Cabrini, what was your area of study? So interestingly, my area of study was uh, history. 
history and particular history. time period that you liked or were yes, you more okay, yes, what absolutely. time period? I loved the Renaissance. That was ah, my favorite. Yes. Okay, so now I think there's a connection to entrepreneurship. Yes, a rebirth. A rebirth. Okay. So good. So you studied uh, Renaissance history, mm-hmm. and then did you go right on to get your MBA or do a no. little work? So truth be told, yeah, <laughs> I taught high school for a year and realized rather quickly that's not where I wanted to be. Okay. <laughs> so shifted, pivoted, and uh, went on to get my MBA. I did consulting. I did PR. I did some lobbying, but I always, it, it wasn't me. Okay. And me was being back in the classroom environment. Okay. So was it a Teach for America program or were no, you no, no. public was, school, private school? No, it was private schools. A private yeah. school. And yeah. high school in history? History and English. Okay. And yes. what didn't sit sit well with you on that? <laughs> so, you know, you, you have these dreams of what your classroom experience will be like. Yeah. And I had this vision that I'd be sitting there and we'd be talking about the Renaissance and looking at paintings and reading, you know, Decameron yeah. and reading uh, Dante. And that's not what's going on in a high school classroom. And it was just not a good match for so, you. Well, for me. I smile when you, <laughs> I, I smile when you say that because my husband's first uh, job out of college mm-hmm. was teaching at a prep school in which he not only was he the ninth grade English teacher, but also one who had to check on the dorms and also be football coach. Oh my. (laughs) He's, he's a highly responsible person. He was then, he still is now, but within three months of the position, Mm -hmm. he knew it wasn't for him. Exactly. And, and I think the main reason he gave then now he was only what, 22 years old, Mm -hmm that he realized that he he empathized more with the students in the sense that he understood (laughs) (laughs) why they were as restless and rambunctious and distracted as they were and he at that point in his life didn't want to be the parent right so he left that and uh got a job at Burroughs Corporation and then the rest is rest is history. Right. <laughs> right. right. So high school wasn't wasn't uh for you, but then you tried you got your MBA. Got my MBA, did consulting, did strategic planning, as I said, PR lobbying. And it was fine, but while I was getting my MBA, um actually one of the professors uh said you really should go for a PhD. That's what that's what you're meant for. Mm-hmm. So I investigated and here I am. Got the PhD. Got into the research education. Started my career um, uh, as a college professor. And was it at Drexel? Yes, it was at Drexel, mm-hmm. where you were in the actually in the business school at that time. Correct. In the I management was. department. I was. I was the head of the management ah. department for a while. I was associate dean there in the business. Oh, okay. At, at the wonderful business school at Drexel. And then you you know uh, just a dear. Uh, colleague Frank Linehan. 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 Thank you, Linehan, yes. who's a yeah. wonderful person who has been at Drexel. I know he's retired now, right? But yes. a wonderful faculty member there, also. Absolutely. Okay, so so tell me a little bit about how you see entrepreneurship, because you know that's one sure. of those words that's used a lot. It is used a lot, and so uh, I was in the, in the business school. I was in the management department at Drexel, uh, but I was very became very dissatisfied with the way that entrepreneurship was being taught, not just at Drexel, but really throughout higher education. I believe that 
in higher ed, entrepreneurship is taught in the wrong building. It's taught in the business school. And when I ask people, uh, hmm. what do you think of when you think of entrepreneur? What are the characteristics? If I had an audience in front of me now, yeah. uh, I would get words like um, opportunity taker, risk taker, mm-hmm. leader, creative, all of these things. Um, I don't hear people say to me, well, an entrepreneur is someone that can code like there's no tomorrow. An entrepreneur is someone mm-hmm. that knows how to balance a balance sheet. An entrepreneur is someone that can mm-hmm. do all these things that are important to building a company. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really makes the entrepreneur is the person. And there's a difference between the words entrepreneur and entrepreneurship. One's yeah. a person and one's mm-hmm. the process. And I think... Uh, I think it's changing now, but I think most business schools teach to the process and not enough about the person. Oh, that's provocative. And (laughs) so by um, having a whole business, I'm sorry, entrepreneurship school outside of a business school, Mm -hmm. independent business school, we were able to create, um, uh, because of Drexel's tremendously innovative culture, uh, a whole new curriculum, 35 brand new courses that actually integrate building the person as much as teaching the process. Okay. So the, I, I'm, I'm already, I'm really <laughs> interested in, in the distinction that you're making. So sure. when faculty members teach the process of mm-hmm. entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. what do they usually do? So um Business schools are divided into functions, which is finance, marketing, accounting, et cetera. And so as entrepreneurship became more popular, entrepreneurship was sort of treated as a functional area of business. And it was parsed the way that business schools parse all their departments. There's entrepreneurial finance, entrepreneurial accounting, you know, entrepreneurial marketing. And then students go through those courses and they take a business planning course Mm -hmm. and they graduate and they're supposed to be able to be an entrepreneur. And let me get back to how we define entrepreneur. But but what's missing is developing the person. And that's it's 99.9 percent of what it means to to be an entrepreneur. If you talk to VCs, if you talk to investors They're looking at the person. They're looking at who can take this company forward. If you look at serial entrepreneurs, successes, there are people that have the character, the ability to manage options, to go through life, to be resilient. And so at the Close School of Entrepreneurship at Drexel, we embedded in our curriculum experiential um, uh, programming and curricula that, uh, you know, we say it's a safe place to fail. Uh-huh. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. come and start something. That's our tagline, you know, start something. We're starters. There's so much learning in starting something. And, you know, people ask me, you know, you can't teach somebody to be an entrepreneur. I don't believe that that's true. You know, we, entrepreneurs are born. I don't believe that that's true. You know, are doctors born, are lawyers born, are leaders born? These are things that... that that's we, the perennial question in debate. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and entrepreneurship uh, as a person, you know, it's not really about a person's personality. Think People think about entrepreneurs with big personalities. As I look at my uh, amazing students, there's a whole gamut of personalities from reticent mm-hmm. to the more you know, outgoing. It's more about, a, it's a mindset. And that's how we define entrepreneurship. It's how a lot of uh, programs now 
uh, in business schools or defining entrepreneurship mm-hmm. as a mindset, an innovative approach to thinking and doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I very much appreciate what you're saying. Um, one, I'm also very interested in education and business education, mm-hmm. and I have a very modest grant uh, sponsored by the Teagle Foundation. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of what we are looking at is just what what do faculty profess to do? So this is really modest, but with the help of a research assistant, I have downloaded all of the syllabi, undergraduate syllabi wow. posted by the finance department, the marketing department, the management department, and so on. We have 10 departments here, real estate and so on. Right. And with the help of a research assistant, gone through them just to see what are the professed objectives of mm-hmm. the course. Mm-hmm. And the objectives include to, fo- you know, to develop um, critical thinking, to mm-hmm. develop problem solving, to learn how to apply solutions to problems, things mm-hmm. like that. Sure. But what when I've now I've got this massive database and spreadsheet of objectives, and when I get a high level snapshot, the number the the most popular objective mm-hmm. across all departments is to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Problem solving right. comes up really high, mm-hmm. and one of my um, one of my hobby horses is that I think problem solving is a critical <laughs> skill. It's a wonderful, it's an incredible and important high level skill to develop. But I would add, and I think here's where you're going to agree with me mm-hmm. before we start pr- solving problems, mm-hmm. what is the problem that right. we're solving? So in other yes. words, the ability to pose a problem, let yes. alone solve the problem, and the posing of the problem, to me, requires creative thinking. In other words, the ability to walk around a situation and say, is it this, or is it that, or is it yes, this, or absolutely. that? And so totally I would say, and I'm, I'm just going to use, you know, and modest, and I love Wharton, very proud, but if I could nudge the faculty here, I would say, yes, carry on, and let's remember that we also need to think about the framing of the problem. What is the problem? And so that that's um, totally agree. And mm-hmm. that is so much a part of thinking like an entrepreneur. It is how do you recognize the problems? How do you assess what the opportunities are? How do you screen out the things that are not going to work before you can actually jump to solving the problem? Speaking of research, there's yeah. a phrase called entrepreneurial alertness. <laughs> where entrepreneurs are uh, characteristics are always seeking mm-hmm. you know wh- what's wrong what is mm-hmm. the problem and how do we solve it mm-hmm. so it's very interesting that you found the words to solve when it's actually it's to find yeah you know, really how do we how do we find and screen these problems and the beauty uh, the elegance really of a true entrepreneurship education is that the the attitude and the skills that we're giving these students uh, in the close school or in any other school that does this is the ability to take this to their life, their career, their profession within a company to start a new venture in their personal life. It's about managing options in your life. Yeah. Things don't go right. <laughs> right. So, so how do we, how do we manage the options? Right. What are the options? How do we, how do we carry on with mm-hmm. resilience and with energy 
And with a smile on our face. (laughs) Very good. Well, Donna, let me not neglect our listeners and just remind everyone that this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Anne Greenhall, and I'm speaking with Donna DeCarolis, Dean of the Charles D. Close School of Entrepreneurship at Drexel University. If you want to get a word in edgewise and join us in this conversation, if you have a question for Donna or for me, call us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. All right, Donna, now a follow-up here. In addition, in this, you know, this taxonomy and look at the syllabi here, and of course, what, what we as teachers or faculty profess is one thing. And what actually happens and students learn is another. But if we just first look at what they profess, the second uh, highest objective is to apply. Mm -hmm. And so I'm I'm I know enough about Drexel to know that that application and the doing and the hands on learning is important. So could you talk a little bit about that in the entrepreneurial school? Absolutely. So, you know, our. Our definition of entrepreneurship is it's a mindset, an innovative approach to thinking and doing. Mm-hmm. So in all of our courses, we try and make sure that we provide the conceptual, the theoretical, the frameworks, um, but there's always a doing piece. We promise that when a student comes to the close school, you will start something because mm-hmm. there's such power in learning and starting something. So that's the application. That's the application. I I like to say that that it's a safe place to fail. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we kind of, you start something, we're going to throw you in that pool. Mm -hmm. You're going to start to swim. Mm -hmm. We're all going to be there around you, professors, (laughs) mentors, our network. Yeah. But but you're going to do this. <laughs> right. That's that's the applying. Yeah, I, I appreciate that too. And uh, here at Wharton, and especially at the in the leadership program, right? We talk about leadership in ways that are akin to what you're Absolutely. what you're talking about. Where it's you know, it, Jeff. If Jeff Klein were here, he would say leadership is not about a position. It's not so much about a corner office or about a salary. Mm-hmm. It's really about action and an act and doing. So we very much um, believe that students have to act and then reflect on what they've done and try it again with the hope that next time it's a little bit better. If there's another Mm -hmm. wrinkle here or there, then we address that wrinkle and then keep moving. So it's that iterative process of action and reflection Mm -hmm. and learning. Yeah. And I'm sure here at the Wharton School, as at Drexel and, and the Close School, it's the doing it with integrity especially today. It's doing it with integrity. And that's one of the values we have at the Close School. And uh, we we truly try and live that and show that to our students. Integrity, it's your reputation. Uh, that's so important, especially today. Yeah. And, you know, I think, I think that really resonates with uh, millennials and Gen Zs. This mm-hmm. is a, these are, are, are individuals who are committed to making an impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. who want to find their mm-hmm. career that's in sync with their values, mm-hmm. that they're doing something good. They want to start a new company that does something good. They want to work for a company that, that does something mm-hmm. good. <laughs> and so in, integrity, I think, is a is part of really our curriculum and, and who this generation is. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about the entrepreneur as a, as a person and sure. developing the person. And mm-hmm. I very much uh, appreciate your point about it being a mindset. So if we could just tease that out a little bit, mm-hmm. as I'm as I'm hearing you, I'm understanding that an entrepreneur is not necessarily a person who has 
a set of characteristics, but rather, um, is that right or no? So I'm not a psychologist. Yeah. So I'm not sure if it's characteristics. I think I think an entrepreneur has a certain. I'll use the word characteristics or traits. I think mm-hmm. entrepreneurs have a lot of self-efficacy, initiative, resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, they're dreamers and they're doers. Mm-hmm. And I think that that set makes up the person, right? Um, so I'm not... I'm yeah, not, no, yeah, that's yeah. good. No, yeah. That's good. Yeah. And, uh, and as you talk about that, you're reminding me, we were, uh, Jeff, Mike, and I had the opportunity to speak with Carol Dweck on our show oh, about mindset, about yes, mindset sure. and that's right. and about you know a closed or or versus an, a growth mindset and right. so I'm really hearing that in what you're mm-hmm. in what you're talking about right. that it's about yeah. learning. <laughs> so I'll, I'll share with you uh, personal philosophy. Oh, good. Um, I think that all of us are born entrepreneurs, and I think society beats it out of us. All right, and yeah. I think that. You know, we're so conditioned, uh, you know, as what's the phrase to color inside the lines and not break the rules and not to question. And um, that's one beautiful thing about this generation. They're questioning. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, I think that the other thing that that um, bothers me is that the term entrepreneurship is always associated with starting a new company. And yeah, and that's. Um, it's a small piece of what mm-hmm. being an entrepreneur is. And I think that all throughout our life, we all engage in small acts of entrepreneurship. We yeah. all do things that are show our initiative, that show that we're taking a risk, that show that we're brave. Mm-hmm. And we we don't um, celebrate those moments as entrepreneurial moments. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, and I appreciate that. And I think I agree with you. And But I, I might also say, um, ideally... Wouldn't that point of view and that perspective exist within the context of a business school? In other words, could it be the case that all business students should have an entrepreneurial mindset? I think higher education has a responsibility to teach every single student to have an entrepreneurial okay. mindset because they're walking into uh, a labor market, uh, you know, that's very different than it was you know, even 15 years ago. Yeah. So it's not just the business school students, the English students, the psychology student, the biology student. Everyone needs an entrepreneurial mindset. All right. And now on the teaching, here's another one of my hobby horses. So Donna, you can okay. <laughs> you can chime in on okay. this. Okay. But when we get down to the nitty gritty mm-hmm. on teaching, mm-hmm. so um, case method is very mm-hmm. popular. It's a ubiquitous method, and for our listeners, if they if they're unfamiliar with the term. It just simply means that faculty members will discuss a case, mm-hmm. which is a slice of life, uh, a picture, a beginning, a middle, and no end of a, let's say, a company. Mm-hmm. And that that uh, incomplete narrative, that incomplete story about the company is the subject of conversation in class. Mm-hmm. And students have the wonderful opportunity of essentially writing the end of the case. Sure. Where it has a cliffhanger, uh, it stops a, at a cliffhanger moment, mm-hmm. and students have the chance to say, okay, what would I do? How would I decide? How would I uh, solve this problem and complete the case? Right. Case method has the wonderful opportunity to be a problem-solving method. Sure. But where it falls short in its use 
is it's typically used as a kind of parable. So in the syllabus, can't you see the syllabus now? Sure. We have headers for each week. And let's say under week number three, we have diversity and inclusion in the work in the workplace. And below that is a case, and the case is called Karen Leary. And Karen Leary needs to make a decision at Merrill Lynch about whether or not she's going to give Ted Chung, who she has hired from the Taiwanese community, mm-hmm. to build the Taiwanese market in Merrill Lynch. Well, if the students look at the case and they see Karen Leary and her dilemma of whether or not to give Ted Chung a private office, already they know <laughs> the answer to the case. Right. It's about diversity and inclusion. <laughs> I see. So, if if instructors were to give students a case with no heading, right. no parable, right. then they could come at that case from all different angles. And some might see it as an issue of diversity of inclusion. Mm-hmm. Others might see it as a matter of seniority or meritocracy or mm-hmm. entrepreneurship. Who knows? But it's even it's in the teaching. Yes. That <laughs> sounds like a very Socratic method of doing it, of just giving the case without any... Uh, agendas, any right? agendas, any right. agendas. But right. don't you think that would build a more entrepreneurial mindset in the classroom? Yes, I think so. I think so. I think I think I agree with you. I think <laughs> so. Um, I love teaching, as I mentioned before. I actually miss it. Being a dean, it's something I don't have. I can't don't have the time to do, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and use the case method yeah. because you throw the student as the protagonist, right, right? Exactly. And I think that most syllabi do have those do headers. have those headings, and it's almost a leading sort of exactly. Right. But, so we but, can we can do this. We can reinvent. Right. right. But and you know, today you have to use really fake cases because if you use a real case, they are googling. Oh, that's true too. Yes, that is true too. Yeah. That, Even if point. you have a no googling rule, they're still googling. They're googling. Good point. All right. Well, we'll come back to this. So, listeners, please stay tuned. We're going to take a short break now. I'm Ann Greenhall. I am, have the great pleasure of speaking with Donna DeCarolis, who is Dean of the Charles D. Close School of Entrepreneurship at Drexel University. You're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. Welcome back to Leadership in Action on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Anne Greenhall, Deputy Director of the Anne and John McNulty Leadership Program at Wharton. Donna, before the hour, we were talking a little bit about your biography, and we also spoke about the distinction between entrepreneurship as a process and the entrepreneur. Uh, We had a chance to talk a bit about curriculum and education. Mm and the very popular problem-solving approach in business schools in general, and how, the, and how Drexel has really been quite innovative in featuring and highlighting and positioning a school of entrepreneurship. So maybe if we could just talk a little bit more about the school, and perhaps from students' point of view, because after all, this is August, and a time <laughs> when, and I get very nervous, I have to tell you, because I can hear the, you know, the the little the little feet coming <laughs> right right and so my anxiety begins to kick up in august but it's a time when students are beginning to think about school no matter what year they are whether they're elementary or high school or college so from a student's point of view what might the education look like and the entrepreneurial school yes uh so 
As I mentioned earlier, we um, were kind of almost a 180 from a business school typical curriculum in entrepreneurship, and we emphasized uh, our focus is really developing the person as the entrepreneur of their life and career and profession, a mindset. So we created uh, about 30 brand new courses Mm -hmm. when we started the school. So um, although we try and weave through every course an experiential component to the application piece, we do have a set of courses that I think are unique and that really deal with the character of the the individual. So, you know, one of our signature courses is Ready, Set, Fail. (laughs) <laughs> I like that. How That's do, good. How, do, how uh-huh. does one deal with failure? As I mentioned earlier, you know, how do you take failure, mm-hmm. manage the options, generate different alternatives, mm-hmm. move on? And so the course um, takes a look at risk mitigation in, mm-hmm. in kind of a business sense, mm-hmm. but also throws in the psychological, emotional piece mm-hmm. of dealing with failure, you know, because failure is such a negative laden word, although right. it's getting a little more popular now because it's, it's a good thing to fail because then you can move on. <laughs> but failure, when you think about it, is, and we try and position it this way, it's not the opposite of success. It's actually a sort of its complement, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we have a course, Ready, Set, Fail. We have a, to your point about problem solving, all, all of our students are required to take a course in ideation. Oh, okay. Okay. So how do you... Mm find the problems, come up with the solutions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, a course in team building, a course mm-hmm. in leadership, a course, two courses in, in life strategies, uh, dealing with what it means really to be the entrepreneur of your life. It's a much more mm-hmm. personal course. Right. Um, uh, immerses the student in what the labor market is looking like mm-hmm. uh, in the next, uh, as they graduate. Uh, we have a course called Entrepreneurial Mindset, we um, have just uh, put on the books a required course in um, mindfulness and well-being. Okay, okay. So, do students do students come into the school as freshmen, or yes. they do? They yes. do. Yes, it's a major. It's a major. Okay. So, while they are doing your curriculum, they are also taking other courses across the university. Sure, they take yeah. their gen ed Gen-ed, requirements. Right. The English, they're history, chemistry, you know, whatever. Okay, but right. they come in as freshmen. So how many students come in in a, in a year? How many are you so, expecting this fall? So we're expecting 55. Oh, that's great. Yes. 55. And right. then do you, do you, do they walk through the curriculum together or? In, no, it's not cohorted. Not cohorted. So it's more of an individual well, path. So uh, um, it's not cohorted. I think we, we have sort of, um, we do try and put them in the same class as the first couple of, of terms. Mm-hmm. Remember, Drexel is a co-op school. Yes. So they go off uh, at the beginning of their sophomore year or the ending of their sophomore year, and they work for six months. So that's probably where their paths will digress. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? Yeah. And um, so then as the entrepreneurial school, do you participate in a special way with the, co- with the, um, with the co-op uh, opportunity that students have. Yes, yes. So we we advise our students. We want them to to really cast a wide net, right? Mm -hmm. So we would like them for their first co-op to work for maybe a bigger company uh, to to get that experience. Um, We try and place them in their second co-op, maybe in a smaller growing new venture that's in the area, maybe in a VC, maybe in an incubator, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then um, 
one of the unique uh, features of our program is that we offer actually not just to close school students, but to anyone in the university, what we call the entrepreneurial co-op. So uh, for those of your listeners that a co-op is a is a work experience, six months. Mm-hmm. So the entrepreneurial co-op and the average salary uh, for a co-op is, is about $15,000 for a student. Okay. So in the close school, we will give you $15,000 to start and run your own company for six months. So that, that's the ultimate. So you get space in our Biota Institute for Entrepreneurship. You get mentoring, networking. You have to do progress reports. You know, you, you can't just come with an idea. You have to show that you have skin in the game. And so we we have the entrepreneurship co-op, and that's the ultimate experience for them to actually run their company for six months. Oh, boy. Okay. So say as a, if I'm hearing you right, is it sophomore year that they do a co-op in a larger company? Ideally. Ju- ideally. Junior year in a... More a smaller, more entre- you know, entrepreneurial. Ideally, ideally. Right, right. And then would it be senior year that they're doing the? They'd have to compete for the entrepreneurial co-op. Okay, right. so say a little more about that. How did? What does that competing for the co-op look like? So, um, so they get an award. It's basically ah. fifteen thousand dollars. So, you know, as much as I'd love to give three thousand students an okay. entrepreneurial co-op, there's a budget there, right? Yeah, there so, is. Yeah, yeah. So they have to do presentations in front of a panel. Okay, that. Um, Representatives from the close school, representatives from our co-op office, the Steinbright office, and we select two or three every co-op cycle that would that would be awarded the entrepreneurship co-op. Okay, very good. And I'm wondering, do uh, those those students who are presenting, do they ever have like fellow students? Can it be a couple of students who are interested? Yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, so typically the funding would go to one person. Yeah. But typically it's a team. Oh, that's what right? I was thinking. And right. so we, we actually had a beautiful example of a company that um, went up for the co-op the first time and did not get it. And the second time they did. And they will actually, they came back to us and said, you know, if we if we did get it the first time, it would have been a mistake. Okay. Because they weren't They, they weren't, weren't ready. ready. They, they weren't, weren't ready. ready. Oh, boy. So yeah. good. So let's say three or so students a year might get this special. Well, probably six because we have probably two six. co-op cycles. Ah, yeah, okay. Right, so right. probably six students a year. Right. Wonderful. And so the the students are majoring in entrepreneurship. Do they have like a special um, like sub majors or concentrations so, within that? Great, con- great, great question. Because <laughs> the beauty, thank you for that. Yeah, the okay. beauty of our curriculum, the uniqueness of the close school curriculum is that not only are you um, immersed in courses that develop you as the entrepreneur, we also teach the process, of course, right? Yes, so, right. so there's uh, accounting for, for new ventures, yeah. marketing, law. So you get both. But students are also required to take a minor. So they get that deep domain knowledge, their mm-hmm. area of passion. Okay. So we have students who are... Um, they, their major is entrepreneurship innovation, but their minor is in product design. Their minor okay. is in fashion. Their minor is in psychology. Their minor is in biology. Uh-huh. So they graduate with a with a sort of T set of skills, right? They have okay. the, they're learning the landscape of entrepreneurship and a deep knowledge uh, in their in their area of interest. We also have three concentrations that they can declare in okay. our major, mm-hmm. which is corporate entrepreneurship, okay, uh, new venture creation. Mm-hmm. And social entrepreneurship. Ah, okay. And is, I'm just curious, is there one that tends to be more popular than another? 
Um, in terms of numbers, I have to confess, I'm not yeah, sure okay. which one mm-hmm. is more popular. Mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. tell you that our social entrepreneurship mm-hmm. course, cause, course, cause many of our courses are, um, open to all students, mm-hmm. um, is probably one of the most popular. Yeah. yeah. Oh, very good. And so if they do a minor, that minor can take, can be from another school or another area in the university. It's required to be in the area. Ah, okay. It's required. Right. Right. I get right. it. They can minor in finance and marketing okay. and psychology, nutrition, sports management, whatever, whatever is they feel is their passion, right? Okay. So you get, you get, I'm curious now, and you may, this is a fine point. So if it's too detailed, let me know. But I'm hearing that students from elsewhere in the university take courses in the entrepreneurship school. Yes. So when when we started the school, I was pretty adamant that um, I wanted the close school approach to entrepreneurship education to be available to as many students as possible. Okay. So if the if a student just wanted to come in and take one course, yeah, I wanted that to be able to happen. So we. We try to as much as possible, and as a professor, you'll understand, yeah. to to make a lot of our courses without prereqs. I follow you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So if somebody mm-hmm. wanted to take ready, set, fail, they mm-hmm. don't have to take three prereqs to, to get into it. Now, yeah. now, as you get deeper into our major, of course, there are some courses sure. that require accumulation of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, our launch it course, where you actually are... You know, launching a business yeah. that requires a few prereqs. Don't ask me what they are because right. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. but I follow. Uh, right. so, so, my my vision was students mm-hmm. from business, from psychology, from biology, from computer science, and they're just coming in and taking you know the the, the random course that attracted them in yeah. the close school and 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 getting excited about about the mindset of entrepreneurship. And maybe if they didn't take another course, then coming to a program or our bad incident or being, or being hooked into the great ecosystem that we have in right, Philadelphia. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So is the, is the corollary truth? So if students at the close school mm-hmm. or entrepreneurship can take a minor elsewhere, mm-hmm. can students elsewhere minor in the entrepreneurial school. Yes. They can. It and works we both have ways. three minors. Oh, you do? All that, right. That, what are that, they? <laughs> that mirror our concentrations. Oh, Corporate okay. entrepreneurship. There you go. Social entrepreneurship and uh, new venture creation. So, um, uh, and a lot of students from different areas come in minor. You know, mm-hmm. pr- product design, computer science, and engineering are, are probably the most popular Okay, so interesting. Now, uh, you're the founding dean, Mm -hmm. and I'm sure that starting the school was not an easy thing to do. (laughs) Is that true? (laughs) That must be true. So, um, how did it come about? Anything worthwhile is not easy, right? That's what I tell my children. Um, It it came about, as I mentioned earlier, uh, just with my um, observations about what was happening at Drexel and I think all college campuses where students are starting businesses all over. They're developing apps, they're doing things. And um, so my vision was this independent school School. of entrepreneurship. Um, There were were some, you know, challenges. There have to be, right? Sure, challenges. You know, um, we, I had a very uh, supportive uh, administration. Uh, The president of the university, the provost, um, got it. And so that's very important. It's extremely important. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest with you, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, there's always difficulties uh, in, in academia, but the other schools, the other colleges uh, got it also. Yeah. I'm, I would imagine, though, that just separating out of the business school might have been the more the more difficult part. You know, initially it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think eventually they see the value mm-hmm. in in and there's such a synergy with the yeah. schools. Right. That um, right. If your yeah. students are going there to minor in this, and, that, and, or the other, and, and, vice, and theirs are coming and vice here. versa, yeah. and um, yeah, so it you know it all worked out. Yeah, very well. Congratulations on that. Yeah. <laughs> congratulations Thank on you. that. Really, yeah. and um, well, let me rem- see. I get so engrossed in conversation, I might sure. forget. So let me just remind our listeners that I'm Ann Greenhall, and you are listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM one thirty two. And my guest this hour is Donna DeCarolis, Dean of the Charles D. Close School of Entrepreneurship, and also the Silverman Family Professor of Entrepreneurial Leadership at Drexel. And if you would like to try to get a word in edgewise in our last bit of time together, please call 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. All right, so, so Donna, let's maybe in this last little bit of time that we have together... Just talk uh, a little bit about um, a subject that, of course, I think is in, of interest to me, and that is the um, exercise of leadership, of entrepreneurship, particularly as a, as a woman. So um, I'm just open question to you. Any particular reflections that you have, either as you look at your student body? You know, mm-hmm. for example, is it primarily male? Is it pretty even male-female? Are there any uh, particular challenges that either the men face or the women face or, you know, just and then as as they go on and actually begin to launch their businesses, you know, we even in the popular press, we hear about how difficult it can be for women to get uh, venture capital, for example. So so but start wherever you'd like. That's a big question. It is. (laughs) is. So start anywhere. (laughs) So uh, we do find uh, which, much to my dismay, that there are more um, uh, young men that are entering the program as opposed to women, although that's changing a yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah, think so that, just in general, what yeah. would the, like here at Wharton, we have uh, 60% male undergrads and 40% female. So, right. And that's a pretty good ratio. That is it, actually. It, it is a pretty right. good ratio. It, it used to be Drexel's not name. long ago that it was 70-30. So right. it's a good ratio, but it's right. not a 50-50 ratio. Right. So in the entrepreneurial school, is it even uh, more so, male? It, it is. And, and I don't think that will stay that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, this year we're seeing, and I don't have the stat in front of me, we have, you know, maybe more of a, a third that are that are entering mm-hmm. that are female. Now in our incubator, we have um, a lot of companies that are female-led um, and a lot of, uh, you know, part of their, their team are female, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really, really important mm-hmm. that women are taught to be the entrepreneurs of their life. <laughs> yeah. uh, extremely important. Mm-hmm. And um, so anything that that we can do as role models, I think it's extremely important that women realize they are role models. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that's the greatest contribution we can make. Oh, very good. It's to be a, a strong role model. Oh, okay. So now our listeners will be bored. But you as my <laughs> guest here. I can share another one of my pet projects is uh, perceptions of leadership. Mm -hmm. And you could put in perceptions of entrepreneurship just as easily. Right. 
but I've, I ask my students before they step into class on the first day here at Penn and Wharton to stop, pause, and think about the essence of leadership and to mm-hmm. find or create an image that captures that essence. Mm-hmm. And I use the word leadership on purpose. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I've amassed more than 10,000 images and essays, which I have parsed mm-hmm. and looked at mm-hmm. the male postings and the female postings. And not surprisingly, I know it's in the literature, and it is true from 20, 2001 to last year, <laughs> that when the young men say he, they mean he 92% of the time. When the young women say he, they mean he 85% of the time. So the image of leadership is gendered male. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then when we look, I got curious, okay, so what, who is he? And on those rare occasions when it's she, who is she? <laughs> mm-hmm. And that has been a fascinating exploration for me because it's very, it is difficult for young men and young women mm-hmm. to see a woman mm-hmm. as an image of leadership. The runner-up image, the second most popular female image among young men and women here at this, 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 just, I'm not saying worldwide, just, <laughs> just here, of life, this slice right. of life is Mother Teresa. Wow. Great entrepreneur, wouldn't you think? Yes. Yes. The number one image, and you will not guess this, but I will tell you is female, mm-hmm. but not a woman. Hmm. All right. Brace yourself. Okay. A mother duck with ducklings. <laughs> wow. I really have no response for that one. That's well, crazy. My my response at first was despair. <laughs> but then I picked myself up, picked mm-hmm. myself up and said, Anne, read what the students have to say. And when I read what they had to say, and I was totally charmed by mm-hmm. one young male undergraduate, 2002, who wrote, they call me Dr. G. Dr. G, when you asked me to post my image of leadership. The very first picture that came to my mind was a picture of my mother. Wow. But I could not post a picture of my mother on the very first day of class at the University of Pennsylvania and the Wharton School. So instead, I chose an image of a mother duck with ducklings. And when you look at that image, it is a military image of leadership. (laughs) She is taking them across the road. (laughs) But she is also taking care. She is taking charge and she is taking care. So Mm -hmm. like at the highest, more abstract, archetypal level, this is an admirable (laughs) image of leadership. But it is a it is a sidestep because it's so difficult. Even now, well, that was 2002. We've come a ways. Right. But still, even now, in 2016, mm-hmm. 2017, 2018, difficult for young people to see a female image. So I'm right with you, Donna. I think having role models, having women in positions of leadership... A wonderful book, maybe you've read, and by coincidence, you'll smile. It's called The Loudest duck. Uh, And it is written by a woman named Laura Liswood, who assembled, had had the position and ability to assemble the highest convening of women. In order to assemble in this group, you had to be a head of state. (laughs) Wow. And one of the women, and I forgive me, I cannot pronounce the name, but she was the president of Iceland. And she'd been president for eight years. And a little boy came up to her and said, 
can I be president too someday? (laughs) And she told him, of course you can. But she realized that all he had ever seen was a female president of Iceland. And so Laura Liswood's comment about this is the power, she calls the power of the mirror, of, of being what we can see. And so, again, to your point, having role models, having people out there that young people can see, mm-hmm. I think is just so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you have female entrepreneurs <laughs> in that <Right>. incubator, <laughs> that's quite a, quite a tribute. It is. It yeah. Is, yeah. So how about for you personally? I mean, being a female faculty member is, is uh, also, and becoming dean, that's not an easy thing to do either. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I think female faculty member is probably easier than becoming female dean, although I think that's changing in Mm -hmm. academia. But, you know, back to your point about the duck image is kind of interesting um, because I'm a mother. uh, You mentioned you're a mother. And I think I think it's very positive that the perception uh, that you it's one or the other has is totally broken down. I think it's important for fathers to be nurturing as much as it is for mothers to be nurturing. I still believe that despite everything, the mother is still the cog in the wheel at the home (laughs) and everything revolves around. Mm -hmm. Um, But that doesn't mean you can't be a good, strong role model. I think the fact that, and everyone has their own path. I mean, if a woman chooses to not go to work, to stay mm-hmm. home, that's just You can fine. still be the entrepreneur of your life. Abs- absolutely. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. The CEO of your home. Exactly. Um, you know, and if you, and if you choose to have a career, I think that's a great role model, especially for your boys. Yes. Yes. I think that that is absolutely true. So Donna, we're coming right around the corner. We have sure. about two minutes. So uh, I always like to give my guests the next to last word, if not the last word, as I close out. So are there any tips or advice or reflections that you might have for young people coming up uh, who might be eager to seek out entrepreneurship as a, as a, either a way of life or as a career? I, so I, I think I would, I would say, you know, to adopt the, the definition of entrepreneurship as a mindset, a way of thinking and doing, I think I would say to trust your instincts, mm-hmm. um, to make decisions, uh, if you make the wrong one, to grieve for a minute, uh, give yourself <laughs> a minute, a day, whatever, yeah. and then move on, um, and to learn to laugh. <laughs> right. It does help, doesn't it? <laughs> it certainly does help. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. All right. And just, uh, I don't want to uh, have you miss the opportunity. How can people out there across the nation learn more about your school and program? Uh, www, uh, I don't even, I can't even remember my own URL, uh, close.drexel.edu. Okay. All right. Charles D. Close School of Entrepreneurship. Start something. Oh, very good. All right. Well, Donna, thank you so much. It really has been an honor and a pleasure to have this chance to speak with you. And I, uh, I wish you the very, the very best moving forward and the best to your, your students, of course, too. Thanks, Anne. (laughs) Okay. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.